The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio, 1123. Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back to talk uh, the second part of the defense with Gabe Ferguson. How you doing, Gabe? Hey, Ken. I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on the show. And we're going to talk about the, the Falcons game again. And we, we're talking about the offense, aren't we? I, I Did I just say defense? I think That's you said defense, but we are talking offense. You know what? Let's just restart this show. We'll hope we get this edit right. <laughs> That's always a risk, of course. <laughs> but here we go. Three, two, one. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're back for part two of the show to talk about the Ravens offense against the Atlanta Falcons in week 16. Here to talk about it with me is Gabe Ferguson. Gabe, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. Thanks for having me on. Talk some offense. Always, always a pleasure. Now, we talked about a lot of interesting stuff, a lot about Tyler Huntley, a lot about the Ravens scheme in part one, uh, a lot about the 2023 Ravens in terms of, of how they'll adjust to the situation with Lamar. Uh, some of the issues that may have happened outside of the uh, Ravens facility in terms of the fire Greg Roman note. Uh, 
if you have not listened to that, go back and download that first. Listen to that first, and then you you know the order will not seem out of order to you, and and uh, uh, we'd appreciate that anyway. But uh, anyway, we're we're here for part two now. Gabe, appreciate having you on. Gabe is at Gabe Fergie on Twitter. Uh, make sure you give him a follow, and he, he does Raven's Situation Room, which is a podcast that's right here on FilmStudyBaltimore.com and available, of course, on all podcast platforms. Uh, that you can follow an outstanding show he does with Jordan Coe, who's also a regular guest of this show. Yeah, that's that's right, Ken. Um, hopefully, we'll have a, a podcast up soon after we uh, get over some mid-season difficulties with schedules. But we are planning to get another one out there shortly. You guys are both busy people. I don't know. Even doing one show a week can be trouble if you're not you don't you're not doing this as a full time gig. And I don't I don't think people always appreciate that who are listeners. Yeah, it, it's it's really been like a work scheduling. Uh, and the fact that the games happen over the weekend, a lot of times that's when you're traveling um, for work. So that that's this year just been kind of busy for both of us. But it's it's you know we we want to get back and you know talk about how things have gone over the past few weeks and, and get that push for the end of the season. All right. Outstanding. So uh, we'll, we'll jump right in here to part two. I have to have to thank our sponsor first and that's liquid death, the water that will brutally murder your thirst. Uh, please give their product a try. They've been good to us and uh, hope we will uh, hope you'll do that. Um, I guess we'll talk about the offensive line first. I need to grab my notes here. Uh, any overarching thoughts on it? Well, I would just say that they had, I think, one of their best performances of the year. Um, it was pretty much a, a blank sheet in terms of um, they didn't let up any sacks. Now, I think three pressures, maybe two pressures the entire game. So um, extraordinarily uh, clean from that perspective. And they were able to really get some consistent push in, in the run game. So overall, I thought they had a fantastic day. Yeah, it's, that's 100% true. No penalties or quarterback hits either. And those are big negative scoring plays that you can you can rack up. So when you're clean on all those elements, very difficult to score poorly um, by my system anyway. So we'll talk through a little bit about this. If you don't mind, I'm just going to jump in with Ronnie Stanley and talk a little bit about him and then let you uh, follow up. A uh, solid game as a pass blocker for Ronnie. Uh, he had one nice run out of pressure from Huntley that he can thank him for. That's That's a kind of a staple of – Stanley and Lamar is that he'll give up some bump pressure. We talked about that outside. He mirrors very well, but often lets that defender get fairly close or gets his own butt fairly close into the pocket. And Lamar is very adept at, at working off that to move around the pocket, uh, leave the pocket as necessary. Huntley, one nice play to get out from pressure that was going to be shared, I would say, between Moses and Stanley uh, on a play. But he did not have another pass rush event the entire game. One half of penetration was his only negative event. That was a, a shared pressure with an unblocked backside player and a guy who crossed his face. Uh, he was probably more responsible. He could have gotten a negative two on the play, but wouldn't have affected his grade either way. Four missed blocks in the game. One block in level two. Went three of five on poles. Not exceptionally good there because he gets two. He got two points as a as a courtesy for being the trailing player. So he really only went one for three on his poles in this game. Uh, one highlight block. It was a it was a nice combination uh, block that actually involved two linemen, which was pretty good. Uh, it w- it's an A with or without adjustment for him. I, I saw PFF did not really like his run blocking that much, but uh, you know I'm mostly scoring the frequency and severity of errors, and Ronnie did not have a lot in this game. Yeah, I thought this game was was kind of um, I would say run of the mill maybe um, for, for Stanley. He wasn't very 
he wasn't threatened very much as a pass protector, mm-hmm. you know, um, and he generally keeps a very clean pass protecting sheet, even when he's going up against, you know, higher caliber um, pass rushers. Um, so I think, you know, in, in this game is really more about the run. They ran a lot more than they, than they passed. So I, he didn't really stand out as someone who was, you know, creating, you know, the running holes in this game. And that maybe that's why he didn't get the, the great, you know, PFF grade. Um, I, I, didn't see him maybe getting to you know the second level as as much as we saw someone like like I mean, we'll talk about Moses later. I thought he he was much yeah. more effective at the second level in this game. Um, so you know, I, I would say good game. I th- I thought you know he did his job. He didn't have any of the highlights that we've seen at times, but um, overall, uh, I mean, you can't really complain about it. Right. It, this is you make an interesting point about the highlights because. Uh, um, Pass blockers don't pick up highlights the same yeah. way run blockers. It's like it's the the only thing you can do is screw up as a pass blocker. Uh, you, you you can get a holding call, you can get you can allow a pressure a quarterback hit or a sack, but if you just make your block or patrol your area, no one comes in, or you look for work appropriately, you you don't gain anything beyond that. And and it's a it's a very rare and special play where I actually finding myself scoring a highlight on a pass block situation. Stanley's had those in the past. Don't get me wrong, where he's where he's actually knocked two guys off. On a on a single pass blocking play, but just you don't. It's not where you pick up the highlights. It's not the thing that people are going to be looking at and 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 googling and gaga. It's the players in space who get a tremendous amount of uh, love for their blocking. And as much as you know, I, I appreciate good run blocks and Moses Linderbaum, both guards, all of them really had some in this game. Linderbaum maybe more than any, but Moses also a ton. Um, you know. I, I love to see it, but inline responsibilities are more important. And the one guy the Ravens can't go without is, is Stanley right now. It's not any of the others. Moses is playing great. Linderbaum has now put together two outstanding games in a row. Powers has had a wonderful season. Zeitler's been amazingly consistent. Um, yeah, but but the guy they can't you know be without is Ronnie Stanley still. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know his importance becomes even more once Lamar gets back because yeah. you have more of a passing offense with Lamar Jackson and Stanley being able to keep him clean on, you know, a down to down basis is going to be what, you know, allows this passing offense to reach whatever potential it can, because if you don't have good protection, then it just makes everything so much harder. Right. Let's move on. I'll talk about Ben powers a little bit, uh, continued his solid play and, and he's, he's really had a great season folks. Uh, he's, he's PFF's top scoring pass protecting guard which seems to be similar to the way i'm scoring he's grading very high and 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 the reason he grades high is because he doesn't allow a lot of pass blocking mistakes um he had two shared pressures in this game and i still have not had a chance to look at the all 22 which came out a little bit late relative to the Ravens' saturday game this week but i want to take a look at one i have shared with linderbaum uh, on the on the very first drive the second sorry the second drive first play the 40 yard pass to watkins um, it looked like Linderbaum missed him first and, and Powers tried to help him out. But either way, it wouldn't have changed either player's grade, by the way. It's just a matter of trying to get the pressure right. Uh, he had four missed blocks in this game to go along with those two half pressures, six of eight on pulls, four level two blocks, a pancake, a highlight. Um, tell you what his highlight was. It's not a typical run block where you get into level two and 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 you you, you combination block for a guard is the, is the most common. You block somebody at the line of scrimmage to help your neighbor and then you move up and make a level two block. Him was, was falling on that fumble. Huge play yeah. in this game. 
Yeah, I mean, that that was really an important play because of, you know, I think the way the the game had kind of shifted a little bit. You know, I, I think it was right after the Falcons had opened up the second half with a nice drive, um, taking some time off the clock. Ravens got the ball back and then kind of petered out pretty quickly. Um, I think it was the only three and out they had. No, they, they had first three and out of, this, of the mm-hmm. game as well. Um, but, you know, if they, if they lose that fumble there and, and you know, the, the field position switches like that on a quick turnaround, that, that could have gotten pretty ugly. Um, and the, maybe the outcome of the game is different um, if, if that goes differently. So I think that's a very important play, like you mentioned. I think it was it was at 14-6, I believe it happened. So mm-hmm. it def- definitely was a chance for them. Of course, the Falcons didn't have a lot of red zone success during the game. But, uh, but yeah, yeah, I think you're right. I think that could have been a, a big change. So uh, a, a B for for Powers in this game. Continue a really fine season he's having, and you know we talked about this on a couple of shows recently. So I don't, I don't want to belabor it anymore. But Kevin Zeitler really got snubbed, but for the Pro Bowl. Mm-hmm. But I'm here to tell you that I think Powers was snubbed even more when I look down at the at the at the most detailed level, most fine level. Powers has had a slightly better season than Powers as I score it. Um, and if you go to PFF, you'd find that that's not true. Um, but but the, the it all has to do with how much people are relatively valuing um, run and pass blocking. And by the way, Zeitler, one of the best pass blockers in the league, also he's but he has had a better uh, a, a distinctly better run blocking season than Power. So I, I understand why they do it differently. I just I don't agree necessarily with the weightings how they done it. Also, the other thing I, I don't know if you knew this, Gabe, but Powers has had the second been the second least penalized guard in the entire league. You know, I, I hadn't noticed that. I, I, that's obviously, you know, a key factor. Like you mentioned earlier, before we started about the O line, um, they really cleaned up the penalties. I think um, over the course of the season, and Linderbaum was pretty early on had quite a few, um, but he's definitely been better in that area. And yeah, Powers. I think maybe I remember one holding earlier on in the season, but he's been very clean. So uh, that's yeah. great to see. Yeah, it's just one holding in Jacksonville, and it, he actually was complaining about it when I interviewed him recently, and, and he said, yeah, he just the guy flailed his arms, and, and you know, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't a penalty, but nobody ever thinks they got they really were guilty of a flag, do they? <laughs> of course not. <laughs> we, we ready to move on to Tyler? Real quick, though, um, you know, Sorry. we talked a little bit about the um, the, the offseason, and, I was, and mm-hmm. you know, Powers is going to be a free agent. I'm, I'm wondering if you think there's a chance that he gets brought back or if he's priced himself out of Baltimore. I'd love for there to be a way, but I think they really had to do it after year three. And obviously they, they weren't in a good place to do that. Um, they probably didn't know exactly what they had with Ben Cleveland. They didn't know to expect that Cleveland was going to come to camp out of shape and not be able to pass the the, the physical. And, I, I, you know, I, he, he got married right before camp. It was, it was just a, a, a kind of a whirlwind of not great situations in terms of focusing on football. Um, as opposed to, you know, wedding cake or whatever it was. Yeah. yeah, I, I, why do I do this? I can't want to give myself a hole on this, but, but, you know, when we've seen Cleveland for 14 snaps, he was unbelievably impressive as a run blocker and, and also terrible as a pass blocker in, in that same period of time. He also, he allowed two one third sacks during there, but his, his run blocking was unbelievable. So the club may be looking at that and saying, you know, if we want to continue a power game, we, we can have that with, with um, uh, Cleveland and we'll have to work on his pass blocking. He won't be as good as powers in, in that respect, but they may say, you know, that's good enough. That's, that's, you know, that's really what we want is we want to have a, a really powerful player 
next to Linderbaum. So those two could complement each other with Linderbaum's finesse play uh, to, to help tee up some blocks for Cleveland. That was the big thing with, with, um, with Cleveland was just bullying people right off the line of scrimmage with any kind of tee up for help from Linderbaum or not in that last game. And, and, and that, that's a very exciting prospect for working these multiple double teams the Ravens do on the inside. So, so let me do another quick follow-up then, because you said, you know, the Ravens might have missed their opportunity with extending powers. Yeah. You know, we saw Tristan Cologne come in, um, I think played decently well, mm-hmm. um, splitting time with, with Cleveland. Um, I believe he probably will be a free agent. Um, you think he's a player that the Ravens could potentially extend up for a cheap contract? By now, you're probably noticing that there's strange tall boys of beer in the bottled water section of your local stores. Well, that's because it's not beer. It's actually mountain spring water from the Alps, and it's called Liquid Death. Why is it called Liquid Death? Well, because it will brutally murder your thirst, and their infinitely recyclable tall boy cans help bring death to plastic bottles. They also donate 10% of their profits from every can sold to help kill plastic pollution. By now, you probably know how much I love Liquid Death. Well, every week I tell you about a different way I've used liquid death to mess with people. This week it was taking a cooler full of liquid death to the softball game. Because as our team chugged down liquid death, our play improved while the other team drank other stuff and maybe got a little sloppy out on the field. So take liquid death. The other team has no clue what you're doing. Or take it to work. We've talked about that many times. Drag it around to your friends at school. Maybe the carpool lane. Maybe we'll talk about the carpool lane next week. Just take Liquid Death. Enjoy it. It's ice cold water. You're going to have a great time and fun. Go get Liquid Death at your local Harris Teeter or 7-Eleven or find Liquid Death retailers near you with their store locator tool at liquiddeath.com slash film study. That's liquiddeath.com slash film study. It depends how cheap. He's hardly played for the Ravens. And and, and so he's, his play this year has been pretty good in terms of one game that he came in. And that, otherwise, he's played a few snaps at center when Leonard Baum's been out. Um, he's not a guy I would go anywhere special with. If if they wanted to say, you know, two years or, th- or two years, three million kind of thing, mm. I, I got no problem with that. Um, you know, I, I, he, they'll, they may tag him in a way, maybe a non-exclusive, maybe, maybe, you know, an, a, a, a second round kind of deal where they, the not exclusive is not the correct term, but, but you know what I mean? A minimum, minimum tender, mm-hmm. but the, the tender is not guaranteed. And the Ravens way in the past has been basically to offer the second round tender. Nobody signs him in free agency. Then they, then they basically say, okay, you're making 1.2 million this year. And they agree on, on something slightly more than a vet minimum. If if it was you know two years for three million with Cologne, I think that might be reasonable. There might be another team out there who wants to pay that for him. I don't think there's a poison pill out there like the Cleveland Browns with tons of cap space or anything are going to come in and, and make the Ravens pay eight million for Cologne because if they do, they have him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I guess I'm just thinking maybe there's an opportunity to give get somebody on like a three year contract or like backup money um, and potentially have him play. What, as a what would be your number? Yeah. You know, maybe like uh, three years, six million, something like that. Okay. Yeah, I mean that that's in the reasonable range. If they believed him enough for that, I wouldn't really have a problem with that deal. But it is the kind of money spent that you will have questions come up about how you spent your cap from a lot of very re- reasonable fans who yeah. don't believe in in doing that. And the Ravens have been so good at developing offensive linemen. Do you want to, you know, do you want to expend money on a fourth, a four, five, six year guy as opposed to just growing a new tree? Yeah, I think I think that's a reasonable question. Except I, if you look at their current 
player pool. You know, Powers is moving on probably Zeitler maybe one more year, and then they don't really have that young person who's there. I think obviously can draft still, right. bring in another player too. But sometimes it takes two to three years for them to actually get to that level where you want to have them as a starter. So I'm thinking Valid maybe as a point. bridge. So. Yeah, yeah a very valid point. And maybe a one-year deal is appropriate then, one year and $1.4 million or something with, with some guaranteed money that goes with that to, that, that he's got. I don't, I don't know. I, I really I, I can't say what the uh, ideal spot is, but uh, but hopefully they find it and, and Cologne is a guy they can keep around. Um, I, I just I don't think there's any chance that, that um, Ben is going to be resigned, which is, is too damn bad because they're losing yeah. a good player. But uh, hopefully, you know, he'll make a lot of money somewhere else and, and the Ravens will get a comp pick and it's at least a little something. Yeah, I guess we can move on to Tyler Linderbaum then. Okay. A fine mobility game from Linderbaum. His second consecutive really outstanding game in terms of overall grade. Um, it only had one, a share of one pressure. And that's one, I, I, I'm going to look at it again to see if he deserves the whole thing or, or, or if he only gets half. He did share it with Powers. Only had two missed blocks otherwise in the game. One was a loss at the line of scrimmage. Uh, that that kind of had a disrupting effect on a couple of pulls, which was unfortunate. But it's it's generally speaking, he had been missing more blocks than that, and his missed blocks had been losses at the line of scrimmage. So to see him drop that to one in a game is really good. It's 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 that's a, a big step forward for him um, in this one. Seven of seven on pulls, so hit on every single one. Six blocks in level two, so that's the kind of mobility you really want to see. Uh, one pancake, two highlights. They're both combination blocks where he blocked somebody at the line of scrimmage, then moved up to level two, made a second block. Uh, so, so great to see those. Usually very effective when he does. Probably we can, we, we can tend to get overexcited about that relative to pass blocking, but he did both well in this game, so no complaints. Snaps continue to be solid. And, um, you know, it's an A game, first of all, from Linderbaum, and, and that's uh, it's with or without adjustment. It was an A minus, but with with any sort of adjustment, and, and he certainly would get some for this game for all the blocking he did. It's an A, and uh, uh, you know, very solid. Uh, if if he continues like this to play at the level he has the last two games, really anywhere near it next year, then he would become a Pro Bowl candidate. Uh, but the, the pass blocking's got to continue at this level. He he he, he can't regress in terms of pass blocking in the off season and hope to be a real legitimate pro bowl candidate from my point of view. Yeah. I, I mean, it's, it's a difficult thing because as a center, you're generally not tasked too often with like a, a one-on-one pass block. And when you are, you know, you need to make the best out of those opportunities and, you know, he's going to be tested. He has been tested and he, he hasn't been as good as, he, as you'd hope as a rookie. I mean, some of the concerns that, there were, I think, have proved to be true. Um, you know, the size is is a little bit of a concern with some of the bigger and more powerful uh, defensive tackles. Um, so, I and mean, we'll see over the next couple games. I, I, I mean, I'm thinking back to the Steelers game. I think you know Cameron Hayward um, had a, had his way with him a couple of times, mm-hmm. um, and then we'll see that again next week. And then you know DJ Reader is one of the best interior D linemen in the league in Week 18. So he's gonna ha- he's gonna be tested, and hopefully, you know, maybe he has turned a corner and, you know, figured it out the, the leverage, figured out, you know, the way to position himself to deal with some of those, those more powerful interior guys. So I'm, I'm hopeful that that's going to continue to tick upwards at these last two games. Yeah, I, I, me too. And and it'll be a season of really trying to look off season, I should say, of really trying to look at the tape and figure out what he can do differently from a, from a hand fighting perspective to win at this level. And you know, one of the things that's been noted 
And unfortunately, I think this is part of the, the, the problem that's more difficult to correct because I think it's more size-based is that he hasn't been very good at stunt pickups at this level. And that, that was something that he came out of college with a great reputation for. Um, but the problem with stunt pickups at, at this level is you're usually dealing with a bigger, longer man. So you might be, might be a five tech, might even be a, 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 a outside linebacker that's stunting to try and specifically take advantage of one of the two A gaps. Um, but what, however, they're, they're, they're getting over there. They know to use their length against Linderbaum, and that's created a number of off-balance situations for him or, or, or just situations where, where you know, he, he has not quite had the quickness to get over. But, but it's more to me, it's more an issue of that player who has time to move on the run, has time to extend his arm and, and use one longer than two on Linderbaum. Uh, and in this case, it's one a lot longer than two if it's if it's Tyler. So that, that it's that's a place where he's going to have to figure out what do I have to do differently? What move can I can I develop to take care of the arm of that stunting defender uh, so I can pick him up? Yeah, um, I think I think that's definitely something that can be taught or learned. Um, mm-hmm. And that's something that uh, is I mean, he has that experience in the, in the wrestling background, um, being, being able to use leverage. Um, so a lot of it is hand fighting, hand placement, um, being able to reset with his, with his past set. So I think those things are, are going to be available to him. And, and I think, you know, he has the, you know, reputation of being a hard worker and someone who's going to put in the time. So I'm looking forward to season two of Tyler Linderbaum and I'm looking forward to the next couple of, of games with him as well. So I think there's, there's only positive potential with him moving forward. Yeah, I, I I agree. I think I think it's it's definitely m- much more likely to be get a positive than a negative going forward. We, the only the only guy who who really started out with kind of as good a year as Tyler has had this year, and his overall year has been, you know, PFF would tell you it's he's like the sixth best center, and I I don't agree. I think he's the about the twelfth best center in the National Football League right now, which is a great place to start. By the way, I, this is not me downgrading Tyler Linderbaum in some unfair manner. This is me just simply believing that he's he's starting from a slightly lower level. I think he has a lot of improvements still available to him. And and frankly, being a rookie at this level is fantastic. He, if you expected him to be Creed Humphrey right off the bat, well, you were wrong. <laughs> and, and, and you know he clearly is not the same kind of a pass blocker that, that, that Creed was coming right out of school. But on the other hand, almost every Ravens offensive lineman that they have drafted has and been, you know, any kind of level of play has improved as as years two, three, four have rolled out. And a lot of times it's a player like Powers or um, uh, the center Jensen, to, you know, taking a big step in year four right before they lead off. I mean, we have a chance for, for Linderbaum to be a really top center in year two, to be a Pro Bowl candidate potentially in year two. Um, but but to, to, to pretend like he's there now is what's it was kind of just funny to me that we, we we keep talking about that week after week. Real quick before we um, move on to uh, to Kevin Zeitler, I wanted to ask as well is about the pools because you have him seven for seven in pools, mm-hmm. um, which obviously is is great. Um, is that number increasing? Because um, I haven't been tracking this week by week, um, and I, I know earlier on this season he probably wasn't pulling as much. Um, so is this kind of like a steady increase he's had, or is this a, a unique number for him? Um, okay, a couple things going on here. That's a good question. Um, they, the Ravens are probably running more counters now because they're running more run plays now. So, mm-hmm. so they've got their healthy backs back. They've got Tyler Huntley at quarterback. That's going to lead you to run more than you're going to pass. So, so 
that creates a larger pool of plays in which you might have players pull. And if you go across the line of scrimmage, pulls are fairly even this week. From from left to yeah. right, they had five, eight, seven, nine, and seven pulls. In fact, they had really eight at right tackle because McCary came in and had one on two plays. So you know, that's a lot. First of all, that's a lot of pulls for one game, but it's also very balanced in terms of where they're doing it. So when they do a two-man pull, they can pull guard tackle and they can pull center tackle. And that's not based on how they choose it. That's usually based on the defensive alignment. Okay, so they they need to make sure that they don't create a difficult, uh, uh, create a less difficult reach block for the for the player who's being left behind, effectively. So anyway, you, you're you're um, has it gone up this year? I'm sure it has some during the year. I haven't really looked at it, um, but but it hasn't gone up so much that I'd, I'd say, you know, I, I can't remember if he pulled once or twice in some games early in the year. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I don't keep that on my my aggregate sheet. I need to need to do that. I have to go back to the original, you know, first principle sheets to to go back and look at how many uh, how many times they did it, or go or go look at the articles. So. Uh, yeah, but anyway, he's he's been good. Yeah, I think it's just an interesting thing because, you know, coming out of college, obviously his running blocking, run blocking was considered to be his, his strength. Um, and I think there were some questions as to how much he would be used in that because, you know, a lot of times the center isn't the main puller in an offense. It's guard or tackle. Um, but I think you know, the Ravens have really used him a lot in that role. And, and I think that speaks a lot to his ability. So I'm glad to see him, you know, being active in that role. Yeah, he's never done well. I, I don't remember him having a solo pull the entire year, hmm. which occasionally we would have seen from from centers in years past from the Ravens. Not all that often, but occasionally. Um, and and in the in the uh, current system, it's uh, it's all counters. It's all two man pulls hmm. where it's where it's ta- tackle in a center and tackle as a trailing player. Ninety nine percent of the time, I think they actually did have a play in this game where they had. Uh, it was actually kind of a zone play where two tight ends blocked right on the play and both might've been both powers and Stanley pulled to the left on the play. So it was a rare case where Stanley was the lead puller on a play, but generally speaking, it's, it's the, the, as, as a center, he's always the lead puller. Yeah. They, I, there might be something else going on before we completely leave this topic is that because Linderbaum's a little smaller, it has occasionally created problems in terms of him being left behind at center and pushed back to disrupt the pull. Now, I'm not saying that changes the, the, the desire, you know, the, the 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 scheme by which they pull center tackle, but they gain a kind of a benefit from pulling center tackle is that if you leave guard guard behind, you got a better chance to not have that pull disrupt the tackles pull in particular. Yeah, I think I think that makes sense because you don't want to have obviously you have two guys behind the front line scrimmage. If he gets mm-hmm. knocked back, then that's detrimental to the whole play. Sure. Sure. Uh ready to move on to Zeitler? Yeah. All right. Good another good game from Kevin this week. No negative plays, seven missed blocks. Uh that's kind of a lot for a game where you only you only snap the ball 48 times on offense. Two of those were losses at the line of scrimmage. That's excellent. So you want to you you if you if those are your two worst plays of the whole day and he had he moved to level two he missed a couple pulls you know he had, he had multiple things that that went wrong but they weren't like getting beat right on the spot at right guard uh, they were somehow he tripped entering level two once uh, had an L two NB another time so uh, yeah, that was the bulk of of how he missed blocks in this game he did go six of nine on pulls did not have any blocks in level two no pancakes no highlights. 
Um, a very plain vanilla game in a lot, lot of ways, a lot like Stanley in terms of not having a lot special um, other than the six out of nine on polls, which is, which is um, frankly only okay. Um, but it'd be in the game overall and uh, would have been that whether or not I had added the adjustment for him. So uh, very solid game again. He's, he had a couple down weeks in there, but he's, he's, he's pretty much been the rock for the Ravens the entire year. There, there's one play in particular that I went back and watched a few times. And I think, I think it was the second drive of the game and the Ravens st- started off doing a, a, a zone run outside zone to the left. Mm-hmm. Um, so they were moving, you know, to the le- left side and Zeitler starts moving laterally. And he, I felt like had an opportunity to slow down the three tech who was lined up over him. Um, and he didn't, and the uh, and Moses was not able to reach him, um, and that to me, I'm not sure. I mean, I guess that's a negative play for for Moses, but that was a really difficult, I think, block that Moses was being asked to do, and that and that the that defender on the backside who was able to kind of slice through that that gap, the B gap, I guess you would call it, um, was able to make the play uh, and stop you know, Edwards for a loss of one yard. So yeah, that's the one. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so on that play, I gave Zeitler a zero on that play. Uh, I had him going to level two and making no block on that, but you're right. He, he left Moses with a more difficult block and it probably is the correct scheme. Um, you, you got elephants in your zone block. You always kind of have that risk. I, I have kind of felt like this entire year, Moses has been the guy who's looked most at home with zone blocking, which is really mm-hmm. surprising. I mean, the other guys just, they haven't done it that much. Linderbaum obviously is, is, you know, is, is fairly good at it. Um, but, but they have, you know, there's, there's certain players who just really know how to use their body effectively and be large. And Moses is one of those guys. This just happening one of the few times the whole year. And that was the penetration he allowed us. It was, yeah. it was one of his only negative scores on the game. Yeah, and, and we can move on to Moses now. And you know, while we're talking about the zone block, maybe I can bring up what I thought was a, a highlight block he had on the, mm-hmm. the first play of the game on offense, where the zone was going the other way to Moses' side. And he, I think he had blocked two plays, two players very, um, very well. Um, basically, paved the lane for for Edwards to rip off. I think was it like a twelve yard run on, on the first play of the game. Yep, R R eleven. So it went right right over his. Uh... Uh, area they they do a very good job whenever he has an opportunity to down block it's he's really gotten comfortable with that so if his first block can be on the the the, the um, three tech which gives them an opportunity to or or even even if it's on a five tech mm-hmm. you know who's who's not not uh, terribly outside. But, you know, really, it's a three-tech. If he's down blocking, it's going to be on a three-tech because he's leaving that guy behind for the guard. He's just adapted very well to that. And it's not something that everybody does well, but it's something that, that for instance, Orlando Brown did well right away, used his length exceptionally well, was not so unnimble that he couldn't get to level two. And I always talked about his ability to impede a scraping linebacker. Moses has that, but he has more. He's great on the move. He's been he's been making people really pay with physicality uh, on the back end. It's just he's been a pleasure to watch him watch him play this year in terms of uh, of of moving up a level and getting to guys. And and yeah, I I, I I can sense you're very enthusiastic about him too. Yeah, I, I loved watching him in this game. I, I, w- I watched the entire game just watching him um, because I thought that he had a number of blocks that were just highlight real level blocks. 
Um, and, you know, I, I, I see that, you know, he missed some blocks as well, but um, he was still able to make a number of blocks at the second level. And, and just like for a man his size to be able to move the way he does, I, it's more than what I was expecting out of him, to be honest. And I think he's played exceptionally well this year for the Ravens. Yeah, is is his results week to week have a little bit of variation. That's often mm-hmm. true of, a, of an offensive tackle is you'll get some variation from week to week. But he he's he's just been awfully valuable, and he he's played at such a distinctly higher level than anybody the Ravens have had at right tackle now for quite some time. And I'd have to really think about who was the last guy. I did I, before I forget this. I want to go back to Linderbaum for a second to talk about guys who. Guys who had not developed after having a big first year. The only guy that really fits into that category is, is Michael Orr. Mm-hmm. Had his best year as a rookie. Yeah. And then they started screwing around with him and changing positions. And I, I wouldn't even say they screwed around with him as much as he screwed around with himself. His agent and himself con- convinced everybody that they wanted to, him to play left tackle. And Gaither had been kind of a head case even while he was playing well in 08 and 09. And then... They moved Orr to left tackle, and Orr all of a sudden said, or Gaither all of a sudden said, "Well, hell, and I'm I'm hurt in that case," and and uh, he he sat out the entire season. And then, of course, they had the had to bring in McKinney to replace Orr, you know, for the playoffs and 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 really fix the offensive line at three different positions by getting Osemele over to guard and whatnot. Uh, it's what the the things. The, the ways in which Michael Orr's career were 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 set back by what happened to him between that first and second year are, are just unfathomable given how good he was at right tackle as a rookie. And, you know, the nice thing about it is Linderbaum, he's never played another position in the NFL. He's a center and that's it. So that's good. <laughs> they, they won't mess him up by a, by a position change. So I think he'll be unlike aware in that key way, such that he's, he's unlikely to really regress as a player, which I think is a, is definitely a positive for, for Linderbaum heading into year two. Yeah. And, that brings up a great point with or because you think if he had just stayed at right tackle his entire career he might have had a completely Hall different fame. career yeah. yeah i mean it's 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 really not hard to not hard to believe he would he would have been an exceptionally athletic right tackle he would have been thought of as had good feet he could have refined his technique in any number of ways um he probably could have avoided some of his own issues with frankly complacency of play that happened as his career wore on uh, one of the real big problems with with Orr, and I'm I'm still pissed about this, is when they got Eugene Monroe, and so they're constantly having to get left tackles to play left tackle instead of the blind side left tackle. So that was you know one element of his career. But they but they when they got Eugene Monroe and they and they stuck him in there at at uh, left tackle in the 2013 season, Orr completely mailed in the second half of his last year in Baltimore really was an upsetting kind of a, a, a streak of, of not playing very well. And, and it was, it was something that, that I, I kind of have never gotten over. I, I can, I can get over the fact that he, that he didn't play well at left tackle and returned to right tackle. I can't get over the, the fact that he didn't really try hard at, at right tackle when he went back there. Yeah. And I mean, he didn't really have much of a career after he left Baltimore. So I think yeah. maybe he just didn't have that, that desire in him to really kind of play at the level that, he felt like he probably could have. Maybe he felt like he was, you know, wronged by the way the Ravens treated him. Um, but you know, if he's not capable of of playing well at the position he wants to play at, then he just frankly can't play there. It's just the way the NFL works. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he he made a lot of money playing the game. I don't know. I don't know what his complaint would be. He made frankly much more money playing the game and and lasted for much longer 
than I think he deserved to based on his actual ability, not his first round draft pedigree, not the fact that he, you know, he, the movie was made after mm-hmm. him, but his actual ability. I mean, he, he, he made a lot of money relative to his actual ability. All right, let's go back to Moses for a second. I'm sorry to, to, to sidetrack us on that whole first year, you know, falling off the cliff or ski sloping your career from there. Um, Moses, one pressure in this game, one penetration. He got run out of a shared pressure by Huntley. Uh, did have a proximity pressure, so would that be something that I have, but PFF doesn't. Here's the really big stat for Moses in the game. Six missed blocks. Only one of those was a loss at the line of scrimmage. So he's not just getting beat by a defender. Somebody's not slipping by him, but the ball's out quickly. Or somebody's not bull rushing him, but the ball's out quickly. Somebody's not beating him on a run play where the where the maybe the run doesn't go directly to his gap. Uh, you know, he's just he's winning his matchups at the line of scrimmage very consistently. Uh, five level two blocks, two pancakes, five of seven on pulls. Watching him pull this year, how cool has that been for for a man his size to to be consistently not only getting like the courtesy points on the tail end, trail end of these two man counter pulls, but also to, to actually make an effective block most of the time. Yeah, I mean he he's he's been a joy to watch. Like like I said, he's I mean watching him move, um, run through a hole and, and completely annihilate a defender. Um, it's it's been a lot of fun, and he's. I think been one of the key factors, you know, along with Linderbaum coming in this year um, and, and probably, you know, powers and Stanley coming back too. So it's a lot of people, but I think Moses more than anyone has been that presence in the, in the run game. And I think a lot of the big runs that we had in this game were, were behind Moses. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I like this play. I really did a lot. It's a game. He's, he got a high C in this game, and I almost felt like maybe I didn't give him enough adjustment. But then I really looked at the Falcons' line and how I've been doing adjustments the whole season, and I, I couldn't really give him more. They, I would have been giving him a lot more for, you know, what are are, uh, you know, blocks that were very effective in level two. I, it, it's it's one as one well as he's on the fence, but he, but a, but a C is where I ended up with him, and I thought uh, you know it was a good game, and if he played at this level every game, I'd certainly be happy about it. Yeah. And, and, you know, he did give up a pressure. I, I noted that. Um, and it, when you don't have very many dropbacks and you, you give up one of the two pressures that the offensive line allows, it's going to bring a grade down a little bit. Um, but, you know, I just going back to all, all the, basically all the long runs that the Ravens had in this one, the one that Edwards had, I think kind of like sealed the game and in, in, of the, I guess it was the fourth quarter. That was, you know, that was Moses getting to the second level and sealing off a linebacker and just completely opening up that hole for, for Edwards to get through. So, you know, he was just a key factor in this game. And and for the value that the Ravens have him on a contract for, it's it's something that's... He's a bargain. Yeah, it's a huge bargain. It's, it's He's been fantastic. I, I agree completely. You get the last word on the offensive line there. Let's talk into to the skill position players and uh, just alternate, but you, know, you pick a guy you'd like to talk about first. Um, not a lot to talk about with the skill position. I would have to say. <laughs> so talk about anybody's one target that you're yeah, like, <laughs> you, know, you know, something I, I'll, I'll toss out there. Um, I want to, I want to mention Deshaun Jackson. I, I think he had one catch in this game. Um, mm-hmm. uh, first down completion on a second down um, play, but, you know, I think he has actually been important in his role. Um, they didn't have anyone who was really a, a deep threat. And even though he hasn't really been getting the ball, I've watched him in you know, the All-22, and he's been open. <laughs> he's threatening the defense. The defenders have to respect him still. Um, obviously, he had that one huge completion in the ja- in Jacksonville game. Um, but he's still capable. Um, he's still 
has that speed. Um, I mean, he can still pick up, you know, 10 yards on a, on a, on a second or third down as well. So I'm, I've been in, impressed with what he's been able to do. I'm glad that the Ravens brought him in and, and gave him an opportunity because, you know, they've been devastated at, at and de- decimated at the wide receiver position, but having a veteran like that, who's capable of at least threading a defense has, has really been something that they needed. Yeah. I, I, I completely agree. And, you know, he has been, still a great yards per target receiver at this point in his career. And I'd like to get your opinion on this, but I think part of it is the fact that they, they have a good conservative usage of him. They haven't been playing him a lot of snaps Um, when he's out there. I'm not saying he's a designated receiver, but it's because they really want to run a route with him and not just threaten it necessarily, not necessarily on a run play. Um, Is, is he out there? It's just, I, I think they've been very good about keeping him as fresh and, you know, the, the first thing you're going to think about when you think about Deshaun Jackson is injuries at, the, at this point in his career and, and the risk of that. And, and the Ravens just done a pretty good job with that. Yeah. And I mean, I think obviously someone at, at his age, it, it's if you had him out there on every down, it's probably irresponsible of you yep. um, as, as a coaching staff. So, you know, keeping him on a pitch count is good. You know, um, I think obviously they were kind of forced to bring in Sammy Watkins and it was. I'm glad that he was available as well. Um, he made the one play for them. I think he's someone who can probably help out in the in the run blocking. He's been a good run blocker for um, them last year. So I think that's something that they definitely realized that they could use. And he's, he's probably going to be an effective player for them as well. All right. My turn, right? Let's yeah. go to, uh, you know what? Let's talk about Isaiah Likely because he's a guy who really had his snaps cut in this game. And, and, they're back. To, you know, they 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 seem to like likely as a run run blocker more because he'd done a really good job around midseason integrating into the run game. I thought in a good way. Now they're running the ball a lot. It seems like it would be more important and more useful than ever to have Isaiah likely on the field, and yet he's only on for twenty five percent of the snaps in this one. 13, 13 snaps in this in this ball game. Um, you had one you know good target for him in the end zone. Don't know if I'd really say he dropped the ball. It was a very tough catch offered to him, low, knee-high, right on the pylon kind of thing. Would have been difficult to get the toe tap and everything proper, so he may have been sacrificing something as a receiver to go down for that ball. Actually, he had two targets. He did catch one ball for four yards. But it's it's um, uh, he certainly is not getting the opportunity as a receiver with Huntley that I expected him to. Yeah, I, I, I don't really know... Um why he hasn't been featured more in the passing game. Um, and, and to your point, you know, I think he's good enough as, as a blocker that you can use him and then throw play auction off of it and, mm-hmm. and have Andrews and likely kind of threatening the middle of the field, hopefully in the void that's been, you know, made by the you know, linebackers biting on play action um, safeties because, you know, a, a number of, defenders that have to you know come into the box against the ravens is generally pretty high um and when you have you know two and three um tight ends on the field it would make sense to have him out there more often and be used more in in those situations i'm, I'm thinking back to the tampa bay game where he where he was used in that play action for a touchdown it was, it was a really great play i think design mm-hmm. i don't see why that can't be done more frequently with him and why there can't be more types of plays designed specifically for him and for Andrews and, and even Josh Oliver, you know, wait, use play action, suck, suck in the defense and get these tight ends, these athletic tight ends in space, scheme them open. And I think make it a one read offense. That's fine. 
that's what you need to do with Tyler Huntley, but at least have an easy throw that can be potentially a chunk game. And I think likely is, is a great option for that. Yeah. It's, it's obviously when your only play is a five yard play, that's not a good thing, but I, I, I go back to what type of play action the Ravens run. And, and with, with Huntley, he seems to be comfortable with the boot and not much else. Yeah. So turning his back on the field, reacquiring on a straight drop play action, even though the Ravens have the linemen and certainly the chip blockers to, to, to make that work out, um, they don't really seem to do that very much. I mean, it's the, 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 that's where you get the real quick hitters in between level two and three. If you're, if you're going to, you know, play action boot, get the guy out of the right. First of all, that edge defender has got to be fooled and that doesn't happen all that much when you've got a mobile quarterback. So you got that problem to start with. They did get one nice fooling. You can also assign extra blockers, roll him out. And that's what they had on the one play at Tampa Bay that you were referencing that night's touchdown there for 24 yards was the entire, you know, you had eight guys in, uh, blocking on the play plus Huntley meant you had a two-man route and so that that you know having likely out there yeah sure that's nice but you know there's there's also four guys running after likely on that play not that that they were close but uh uh it's it's not an easy play to get to work it's it's just it's it's harder than I think I I I really want to see them have more straight drop play action which means they've really got to be I think under center Mm -hmm. to do it to to make that work did you ever see Aaron Rodgers play against Miami? I did. Okay, so you, you, their their play action. I mean, it's it, it's not even any bones about it. A lot of time, a lot of times, it's he just hides the ball under his hip and he and he fakes to hand it off with his off hand. Uh, so I just the, the Ravens don't do very much of that type of play action, and I guess they really don't feel like they have the processor to do it. Yeah, and and they don't have the veteran quarterback necessarily to do that either um with especially with Huntley um but I do think it, it can't hurt to have more under center um you know they they had the one under center play action completion to Mark Andrews in this game um mm-hmm. I feel like that might have been the only time they did an under center play action all game um it was effective I think you know there's room to do more of that maybe four or five times you know do play action you can run out of it too um I something I think is an interesting wrinkle that we could see more of yeah, they, they. I mean, the, the entire first quarter they ran a hundred percent shotgun. For example, into the second quarter, I'm looking for this first non-shotgun play. Uh, looks like it was in the second half. It was the first time they ran not out of shotgun. So when when you start with that, you know, you're not giving the 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 opportunity for the straight drop play action that that we we could do. But you know, I think you're right. It's probably quarterback dependent more than anything. Who's your next guy? Let's go with let's go with Gus Edwards. Um, he was really, I think, the probably the 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 ball winner for or the game ball winner for this game. If if you had to pick one from the skill players, um, was it eleven carries, ninety nine yards, or twelve carries, ninety nine yards? Um, yep, really really effective game from him. You know, we saw several chunk plays. You know, twelve, fifteen. He had like one that was thirty some. I think um, he was definitely the workhorse. Um, you know, Dobbins had some effective runs earlier, but Edwards definitely sealed the game for them. And um, he's having him play like that and, and having the kind of that one-two punch between them is is something that obviously we haven't seen really since the 2020 season. Um, and we can be reminded about how effective it is between them. And and it's just, it's, it's good to be able to see them play at that level again. And, and they really are very talented running backs in this scheme. And, and they are... Um, I think the Ravens, you know, definitely need to to use them consistently over the course of the 
the rest of the season. They're they're really the engine of the offense. Yeah, I I, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I would I, I have been asking the question of guests on the show, so I'm going to ask it of you again. Um, would Kenyon Drake be doing anything better to finish some of the runs that Dobbins and Edwards have started? Dobbins in particular, because Dobbins obviously is having trouble getting down the field and and going over thirty yards uh, with, with anything left in the tank. Drake has been running away from defenders earlier in the season when the blocks are perfect. Yeah. So the question is, is Dobbins giving you more at the line of scrimmage, making these first cuts and getting the first 10 yards than Drake could do, do for you by getting the last 10 yards or the last 30 yards, maybe in some cases. I think the answer is yes. Um, based off of what I've seen, um, Drake's vision is not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Dobbins and Edwards both have much better vision in terms of um being able to follow the blocks, being able to make the right cut to avoid, you know, a potential defender. Um, you know, Dobbins may not have the long speed, but he has the short area agility, the ability to, to, you know, kind of do like the hop step, um, very effectively. Um, he, he looks extremely good. I think in terms of that, you know, five to 10 yard around bodies around the line of scrimmage. Um, and if, if you could, you know, put them together and have Kenyon Drake's long speed and, and Dobbins, you know, ability to navigate through the hole, uh, you, then you'd have, you know, probably, um, you know, an all pro running back. Um, but, um, unfortunately that's not what we have right now. Ho- hopefully, you know, Dobbins does regain that form probably, you know, it's a next season thing. Um, but I, I think, you know, having someone who can get you that five, 10, 15 yards more consistently is definitely more important for this offense right now. Yeah. Now, I think everybody has been on the show has come to the same conclusion and me too. So I, uh, I agree with that entirely. Uh, any other players you just want to talk about? And otherwise, well, I think we'll go to the mailbag. I mean, I, I mentioned Oliver earlier. So I think just wanted to mention that again. I think that was in the first, first half. Um, but I think he's done a really good job as, as a run blocker and kind of been the, the Nick Boyle um, replacement in, in the offense. And I, I am, impressed by his speed as well and you know he didn't catch either of the kind of deep passes that were, he was targeted on but he does have impressive you know athleticism and, and speed in order to kind of threaten the seam um mm-hmm. and maybe in a more schemed up kind of route or a schemed up play he could definitely be a threat in this offense i think more so than what he's done so far Okay, now we assume Nick Boyle is going to be gone next year because of his contract structure. What about um, re-signing Oliver? What would you What would you do there? Would you just draft somebody new? Would you try and sign Oliver for some sort of bargain contract for a couple of years where you make him a core special teamer? Plus, you're, you know, I guess you really hope he's the last tight end on your roster because you certainly want Kolar Andrews and likely play him. Yeah, I think if you can get him at a bargain, then you, you think about doing like a, a one-year, maybe two-year, bare, maybe you know minimum contract, maybe a little bit more than that, but um, definitely not on the level that that Boyle got paid, mm-hmm. um, because he would be, you know, with with Kolar and, and likely I think probably your best blocking tight end, but he wouldn't, you know, be necessarily out there on, on the passing downs with those guys that you have. Um, I think he could be used that way if he didn't have them already on the roster, but you just invested two fourth round picks. Um, they, they should be, um, you know, getting a lot of those, I think, passing down routes. Right. I I would agree with that. I don't have a problem with him being the fourth tight end. If, if he's a key core special teamer mm-hmm. and he's at the Anthony Levine contract level, which would be like two years, 
if if the if the vet minimum was one million, I, I kind of lose the scale every year, and I know it's like one point one three seven or something now. But if the vet minimum was one million, I'd want to give him about five hundred thousand of bonus over two years yeah. to stay here. And and it might be that that that'd be really good, or it might be some other team says, "Hey, we need a blocking tight end. They're hard to find." It wouldn't surprise me if he gets two years, five million from somebody even uh, out there just because of that. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me either. Um, I mean, just looking at his his athletic profile, I, th- I think you know there is a team out there that could maybe even potentially use him more, utilize him more in the passing game too. And I mm-hmm. think that would be something that a tight end would be attracted to in, in free agency. Right. And and yeah, you'd you'd have to figure Oliver is looking for exactly that situation where he'll get thrown the ball a lot more. And and uh, uh, but hey, if you're going to be a great blocking tight end and you want your career extended and some some people really know how to make a lot of money at this game, and they can stay in the league for eleven years. And Anthony Levine is is you know one of those guys who was in the league a number of years uh, by by you know embracing that special teams role. And Oliver certainly does that well. So it'd be nice if if you know if if he does the other things well, you know, have a career that lasts a long time. He ends up earning ten million instead of um, you know six million or whatever it might be. You know, he's, he'll do himself a favor. But then of course. This is his one big chance to earn some money. He's going to probably look for the best situation. Yep, I would agree with that. All right, let's roll into the mailbag here. I got a few things here, and if you want to uh, look at hashtag film study mailbag on Twitter, you can kind of pick out a question that you like. Uh, we can go offense or defense because we left the defense out last night. I really wanted to get to some of those, but we'll start with an offense question. This is from at jtor10. He says, "Why was Greg Roman out of a football job completely for three years before he came to Baltimore?" to be tight ends coach did the rest of the nfl know something harbaugh didn't so i don't think he was out of a job for three years i think he was up now the same thing he was in buffalo for let's say like 2016 maybe he might have been out he was the OC, OC in San Francisco, 2011 to 2014, OC in Buffalo, 25, 15, 16. And then he came to the Ravens yeah. and he was senior offensive assistant, then assistant head coach and tight ends coach in 2018. And he's offensive coordinator starting in 2019. So no break in employment <laughs> as described here. Um, but this seems to be one of a, you know, some general Roman comments. So maybe we address the larger question. The room is, does Greg Roman have something to offer this offense or do you just, do we assume that whoever takes over for Greg Roman will at least think about starting with what Greg Roman had in terms of some, some run success and then layer on passing success with that. I might be in the minority here, but I think you need a a kind of a clean break. And this is just my personal opinion because I do think that, you know, Roman's run game has been very successful, but I also think that you could use a lot of different approaches to how you run the ball um, with the talent that they have along the offensive line and in the running back room and still be very successful without kind of using his tight end, heavy fullback, heavy type of, of offense. So I, I don't think you necessarily have to keep the personnel type usage that, that uh, Roman prefers. Um, and I think you can still do a lot of the same type of, you know, gap type runs. Um, and, and, you know, just because like the, the plays that he has in terms of like the, the, what really, what's the steady part of the offense, you know, the, the gap power counters, um, that's not anything unique to Greg Roman. He just uses them more than most other coaches. What about what he does for reads? Yeah. I mean, 
th- I think that's something that is probably a little bit more unique to him, but I don't think it has to be part of the offense. I think that's something that um, you can still design plays for um, similar to how they're doing it up in like Philadelphia, for instance, with Jalen Hurts. Um, I, I think you can be very successful with, with Lamar Jackson without this necessarily Roman fun, uh, thumbprint on it. And I definitely would not say he's the only guy who can design plays for that, not by any stretch. Uh, I think he certainly, almost certainly is gone. The largest part about, by the way, him being gone from my perspective is that I don't think Harbaugh wants to take the risk of his job being yeah. on the line for Romans, a, a poor offensive year next year. Yeah, and I, and I think, you know, Harbaugh definitely sees the deficiencies. I, I, I'm surprised that he's actually kept Roman for the length of the season. I thought, you know, Earlier on, there might be an opportunity to to make a break um, because the the offense really was struggling even before Lamar got hurt. Um, but maybe you know, there's just a we'll keep continuity for the season and then make a clean break next year. Mm-hmm. All right, got an interesting uh, comment. We always want to uh, uh, film study mailbag is for comments and questions. So let's here's a comment from Mark the Ravens, uh, Mark B. Redding. Here he says, "I can see this team making the Super Bowl with Lamar." If the wide receiver core can stay healthy, Sammy and DJX, it's incredible. That's our wide receiver core now. It's talented enough for Lamar to make it make legit magic. Without Lamar, I can see us losing to Buffalo, Cincinnati, Kansas City, or Miami. By the way, with or without Lamar, I can see us losing to to any of the, any four yeah. of those teams. I don't see us putting up enough enough points. Anything to add to that? Um, I, I would just say I really think it it all depends on um, the ability of this team to be smart on offense and that's more of a pass or i would say a a play calling thing than than a talent thing because i think they do have the ability with the ability to run the ball and the ability to you know use the run as as a threat um you you can still move the ball if if they can figure out the red zone with with, once lamar gets back i think they can be a a super bowl team um especially with the the way the defense has has come around um so I, i think if everything goes well, they're they're viable, but it's it it won't be necessarily the most fun team to watch in the in the in the off in the offensive side of the ball, just because they don't have the the ability to make explosive plays. Mm-hmm. Okay, that's a good one. Let's let's pick out another one here. If you're ready with a question, you can jump in. I'll I'll I've got one ready to go here. Yeah. So there's a a, a question from Coach Chill Will, which I like. Um, <laughs> it's a good name, but yeah. um. You know, it's it's about Justin Matabike. He hasn't necessarily had the sack totals, um, but do we think he will be extended, or should they extend him, um, given the kind of current, you know, defensive tackle situation? Um, and I think they should extend him. Um, I don't think he's going to deserve to be a, like a top of the market type contract, but I think he's someone who is, you know, a key part of the defensive line. He is young. Um, he does offer you some upside as a pass rusher he offers you good i think run defense um and i think there's still you know room for him to continue to grow i think the raw tools that he has are are pretty unique and he's someone that i would definitely like to keep around yeah i i would too um he's on a really bad streak right now of missing tackles and this is something that defensive linemen don't have a lot of missed tackles so when when you have a guy who has a missed tackle rate that's in the 25 percent range that that's really bad. And he missed three in Atlanta, uh, in the Atlanta game that were of varying levels of importance, but none terribly bad. 
Um, and he'd also had four missed tackles the previous four weeks as I, as I score him anyway. Um, to me, that's a pretty bad run and it's kind of held down a lot of what he's done for the run defense. If he's just a pass rusher, I think you know, he can provide you something. I think he, he's one of the guys who can win one-on-one, but I think the Ravens are going to kind of have to decide if he's going to maybe have a reduced snap load and be more effective as a pass rusher on the interior. And and next year, you know, the Ravens are probably going to be in a different situation in terms of of who they can put up on the line. I'm really excited about seeing Travis Jones playing next to Michael Pierce in some run situations. I think that's a that's a dynamic duo in terms of letting um, Travis Jones be the uh, throw the guard aside three tech that a lot of people projected for him. I mean, he's got nose tackle bodies. He can certainly play there, and he's you know, he's been that primarily for the Ravens this year, exclusively really. But but if 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 you could put him over a guard, I think you really could find a a, a hidden gem who could uh, who could get to the quarterback and and, and create problems. So I kind of like that more, and I I don't think Matabike is quite big enough to to have that three tech role as a run defender. There've been times when he's really been really good at it this year, and there's been times when it, when he hasn't been perfect. And I just I would like to see a little bit more. Uh, from him there, or or maybe the answer is you know make him more of a rotational player. Um, but either way, I, I you know I I was thinking about it a little bit. I've asked the question on this show a fair number of times, but um, I think he's one of the guys I probably wait on. I don't think I would do it this year. Hmm. That's interesting. I mean, I think the upside to doing it now is you might be able to potentially get him at a at a discount. Sure. And there's the opportunity that he has a breakout season in the contract year. Um, Ben Powers esque, for instance, you know, you, you we've mentioned players on offense who've done that. So completely true. Yeah, yeah. I, I get I got one from Ravens Andrew he, Andrew here. He says, which first rounders had the bigger impact on the team, Hamilton or Linderbaum? What do you think? You know, that's that's a really good question because, I mean, from a down to down basis, you have to go with Linderbaum. He's out there more frequently, um, and they both had their ups and downs. But, you know, Kyle Hamilton has really come on strong. He's been a pretty crucial part of the secondary um, with their lack of finding a, a third corner. Um, he's filled in pretty, pretty crucially there. And I think that um, it's tough. I, I think Linderbaum, you have to go with him. But, you know, Kyle Hamilton has made a lot of impact plays for this team as well. They've both been, I think, absolutely stellar first round picks. Yeah, I, I I would agree. I'm very happy with where Linderbaum is. You know, you know my feelings about where he is in the entire NFL in terms of of uh, um, you know, contributions there. If you're talking about who's contributing at safety, one of the one of the problems is that Hamilton is is kind of a man without a position right now, and he's he's definitely his strengths are being de-emphasized by his position. Where with Linderbaum, his strengths are being completely emphasized by his position. Is exactly the position he should be playing. He'll never play a different position. It's the position he played in college. It's the position he's good at. In Hamilton's case, the, the team is like, damn it, we don't have a slot corner and we have no good options. But Kyle Hamilton presents some interesting physical things for us. So we'll try him there. And he's played very well there. And, and you know, in terms, maybe if I go in the other way, if I was going to say who's who's contributed more, I agree with you on the Linderbaum down to down basis that you you get more value out of that. If If I then look at, Who's the next guy up if you don't have that guy? You know, the, the Ravens would have to struggle with a Cologne at center or somebody like that, or maybe McCary goes back and he plays center if you can afford to not have him playing tackle. 
Um, but but they would they would drop a fair amount certainly if 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 they got it. I think the drop off at slot corner could be really disastrous for the Ravens if they didn't have uh, if they didn't have Hamilton there. Yeah, it's pretty wild that the Ravens have a, a six foot four, two hundred and twenty pound <laughs> slot corner. Not many teams cool. are doing that. Yeah. Um, and and I think you know for better or worse, it it has its benefits and it has its its negatives. And we we've seen some teams kind of attack him in like the short passing game. Um, I think. Cleveland did that, for instance, a little bit um, two weeks ago. But in in this game, you know, having someone who's a big slot corner can actually be very beneficial to your run defense as well. So yeah. um, there, there's there's pros and cons to it. I think generally Kyle Hamilton has played very well um, in that in that role. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Here's another one for you, since since I've talked about this before in the show. But at two Grubby, Joe Grubbs says the Ravens have three cornerbacks: Stevens, Peppy, and uh, Jalen Armour Davis who are still early in their rookie contracts but have struggled to contribute. Absolutely true. In the offseason, do you think the Ravens will cut their losses and move on from any of the three or bank on them improving? Well, I think it's too early to cut cut their losses, so to speak. I mean, they're fourth-round picks. You expect there to be some developmental curve, um, especially with um, with Jalen Armour Davis and, and, and Peppy Williams. Um, you know, Williams, I think, definitely has the potential to be your your nickel guy at some point in his career i think he has the kind of skills to to do that um he needs to i think be a little bit better in, in just ability to kind of find the ball i think that's maybe one of his bigger issues um he's he's kind of been targeted and he, when he does get targeted he doesn't necessarily have the ability to make a play on the ball um but he has generally been in pretty good coverage like he hasn't been completely blowing the coverages like like we've seen armor davis do right um I, so i think there's some upside there and then brandon stevens you know he, he's played a decent amount this year and he's played well at times he's he's also been picked on at times but i think he's someone you like to have as a reserve defensive back in this defense yeah either their years two one and one are times where you don't give up on draft picks if you if you look at the ravens history of giving up on fourth round draft picks and higher and stevens actually a three um, I don't think they give up on anybody yeah. in this group. I think Stevens, uh, you know, they, is a guy they may look at. I think I'd be, uh, depending on how it goes, because it's played pretty well against Atlanta, but depending on how it goes the rest of the year, I might be okay going into next year with Stevens as the number four outside corner. I would not be comfortable with him being the first man off the bench. I just, I just would not be comfortable with that. If they don't have a better option, I think they need to go find it. And if they if they're going into the season with him as the three, then they're really going in very bald at that position in terms of of, of talent, in my opinion. Yeah, it's. I mean, I I think it's. I mean, Marcus Peters' question is is pretty looming in this offseason. Mm-hmm. Um, and what what do you do there? I, I don't think Stevens is a starting corner, but I think he can be someone who fills in if you need to. Um, he has size. He has you know, some physicality. He has speed. He, I think there's room for t- potentially for him to improve, but I think you definitely want to upgrade. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's been one of the people I've fairly consistently identified as, as a guy who would really benefit from position specific coaching. Cause he's had so little time to, to really focus on being an outside corner. I know at SMU, he played everywhere down by down. They moved him around. And in two years with the Ravens, he's played safety. He's played slot corner. He's played outside. I mean, there's great schools out there for cornerbacks, great position specific training opportunities that he can take to learn 
you know, important fundamentals of the position probably would help him stop being as grabby if he could learn some better technique. He's a fast player to start with. I mean, his speed is, you know, oftentimes really underrated, but there's a, there's a player there. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced. I'm, I, I think there's a guy who could, who could become a better outside corner. I think if, if I had to say, I think that's the position for him to see if he can actually make it in the NFL. I don't think it's at safety or I don't think it should be at safety first anyway. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. I definitely don't think it's in the slot. He's, he's yeah. not built, built for that. Um, so I think there's maybe one more question here and it's sure. by Je- Jeff B. And I think it's an interesting question. Who is the more valuable player on this year's defense, Roquan Smith or Marcus Peters? And how would you use that conversation to allocate future spending at the two positions? Yeah. Um, and it, it matters because, it, you know, obviously they're two free pending free agents. Um, you know, cornerback traditionally is, is probably a, a more premium position considered. Um, the Ravens have definitely spent more money there recently. Um, you know, Marcus Peters has had some ups and downs. I think he's been a more variable kind of player for the Ravens. He's had some really good games. He's had some poor games. Um, I still think that the overall impact of having a high level cornerback two is greater than an inside linebacker. That's my opinion. And I know Roquan has done a lot of really good things for this defense, but I still think I'd rather have Marcus Peters if I had to choose between them. If Marcus Peters or Roquan, same dollars, you'll take Peters. Okay. Yes. So let's, I mean, Roquan is significantly younger for starters, yeah. which is which is one of the questions I'd ask. I don't disagree with your comment at all. And I think the question is actually going to come down to something like, would you rather have Peters at 9 million or 10 million a year or Roquan at 17 or 18 million per yeah. year? So I think the question is more pronounced than that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I would agree with you. I think if it's, you know, if it's three years, 27 million or something for, for Peters, yeah, you can put me down for that. I think he's still a fairly young guy. I think he might be twenty nine now. Yep. Um, so, so I would I would buy into that. I, I, if it's three years or f- let's say it's four years for sixty five million for Roquan is what they can end up agreeing on. That's that's a hard nut to swallow. That really is. Um, it'd be it'd be it'd be a lot of money spent inside linebacker. So they might do it. They might not. Yeah, and it's really difficult for me to say because. I really love what Roquan Smith has done for this defense. He's been a, he's been a playmaker and he's definitely helped improve them. Um, there's no way you can deny that, but I, is he the only option that you can get there at that position to have that kind of role and maybe not spend quite as much? I think there might be other options there. Um, so I, I'm, I'm willing to bet that you can find some help at linebacker, uh, I think it's easier to find that than it is to find uh, a starting caliber cornerback. Completely, completely yeah. agree. And and the Ravens have had good success at finding, you know, UDFA linebackers if you go back far enough, but uh, they certainly have had, you know, reasonable success in the draft finding inside linebackers that they've, that they've liked as well. Um, it, it's that's, that's a, I really love that as a theoretical question. It's something that, that deserves its entire short, so Jeff B, if you'd like to come on and do a short on that particular topic, just contact me and, and let's have that discussion. Uh, Gabe, just a pleasure having you on to talk football. Uh, you know, we could do this for hours. We've, we've got to cut it off at some point, but uh, uh, really appreciate you making time. Ken, I always love coming on the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. It's It's been a lot of fun talking about this game. Love talking about a win. Um, nonetheless, a win that secures a, a playoff spot. So. So it's, it's a good time to, to be a Ravens fan.
that it is. Other folks, if you'd like to be on a film study short, hit me up. DMs are always open on Twitter. Uh, if you can introduce this show to one additional person, we've kind of profiled some people who who might be older, not used to podcasts, get them to listen to it off their computer at work. That'd be great. But, but anybody you have who, who you think might be interested in hearing this kind of uh, football talk, analytic football talk, we'd really appreciate a, a reference from you and uh, appreciate you listening absolutely all the way. So, uh, Gabe, thanks again for coming on. Yep. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. We'll talk to you next time on Film Study. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.